Blog Talk Radio. Why do I find it so hard when I know in my heart I'm letting you down every day? Letting you down. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to the RC Report. Today on the RC Report, we will have special guest Annie Benoit of the MMQB and the MMQB podcast. MMQB.
Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest on the RC Report, MMQB's own Andy Benoit, who is one of the premier all-22 guys as far as the NFL goes. Also, he has a wonderful podcast that I listen to regularly called the 10 Things Podcast, also from MMQB. Andy, how are you today? Hey, Ronnie, I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, too. So I was going to start with another question, but we got some blockbuster news. Marcus Peters, it looks like it's finalized, court Adam Schefter, uh, without any kind of glitches, that he will go, he will be traded to the Los Angeles Rams. Tell me what Marcus Peters is on film and what he does for the Rams defense. Well, I think he's similar to what they had in Tremaine Johnson in the sense that he is an off-coverage corner. Now, where he's different than Johnson is he's much more of a risk taker. He's a high-risk, high-reward kind of guy. Um, he's unusual. He's kind of hard to scout at times because his technique uh, can be, let's call it unconventional. I think it can be a little bit sloppy, but it's not in the – I don't mean that necessarily in the negative way. There's a looseness and a feel to the way he plays. Let's put it like that. There's a sandlot element to his game in a, in a positive way, and it makes it really terrifying at times to play against because he intercepts passes that he really shouldn't intercept if he's playing the coverage a certain way, and yet he makes these kind of plays. So the Rams are getting a dynamic playmaking corner. He's not probably quite the pure stopper that Tremaine Johnson was, but he's, they're, gonna not, they're not going to have to change their scheme a whole lot, and they're getting Peters at a very good price because he's on his rookie deal. RPO seem to be the buzzword this year. There always seems to be a buzzword, whether it's zone defenses or the zone read, or, or I guess a zone blitz years ago or the zone read. Are RPOs a trend that would go the way of the zone read as far as how trendy it was, or do you think they're going to be a lasting part of NFL offenses? I think there'll be an element of offenses. I don't know if it's something that will ever become a team's foundation. Uh, they're, in a lot of senses, they're a safer version of a zone read uh, for the simple reason that the person you're leaving unblocked is usually the linebacker, a second-level defender. So there's no immediate threat to the quarterback. So a lot of teams can run RPOs uh, because of that. and You can do it off of different looks, but that's how it tends to go. But I don't I, – I, when I think about what's up ahead for 2018 and what's changing schematically, RPOs, that's not a, a much of a discussion I'll have with coaches next week at the Combine when we start talking about these things. Why do you think – well, it's trendy, but why do you think it seems to give coaches or defenses problems schematically? The, the RPOs? Yeah. Um, because it puts you in conflict of assignment. You essentially have to defend two things at once, and you can't do that as a defender. So uh, you either play your run fit or you ignore your run fit and play the pass. And all of that stuff, just the conversation of it that goes along with it, it's a way to make a defense play slow. So a team that that does a lot with with linebacker speed, like the Atlanta Falcons, for example, with with Deion Jones, Devondre Campbell, those type of guys, they're a good team to run RPOs against because you, you you can make them wrong when they're right as defenders for one, and for two, you force them to think the game a little bit differently immediately after the snap, and that's how you get guys playing slow. Nick Foles had a 27 touchdown 
two interception season with Chip Kelly. He had these three, particularly the last two, really good games in the playoffs. Why is he so volatile, and what's your overall evaluation of him looking at the film? Well, he's a hard one to evaluate now because that Minnesota game in the championship and then beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl, Nick Foles did things that he's never done before. He, he The story on Nick Foles has always been the later into the down it gets, the worse he becomes. So you want the ball out quickly, which is why he had that prolific season under Chip Kelly. That's a scheme where the ball was almost always out quickly. Well, what Nick Foles did in the championship game and then again in the Super Bowl against some quality opponents, obviously, was make plays late into the down. And against Minnesota, I think he did it a little bit uh, off of improv. It just kind of that's how the action shook out. And then as the game went on, Doug Peterson got more comfortable and started asking more things of Foles and got comfortable having him hold the ball late into the down. And then they came out against New England, and that was the game plan. And they played like they did with Carson Wentz stylistically. That's a hard one to understand with Foles because you've got multiple years of him not being that and not being very good early in the down, or excuse me, late in the down. And then you've got these last two games, the biggest games of his life, where he was not just good but sensational late in the down. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking to get smarter about football, if you're looking to get insight from All-22 film, Andy is your man. He and Greg Cosell are my go-to guys. Where can we find you on Twitter, and where can we find the rest of your work, Andy? Uh, I appreciate it. I just got off the phone with Greg Cosell, too. I appreciate that. It's nice oh, wow. to, uh, to cool. love me with him. Uh, I'm at Andy underscore Benoit. Okay. Um, also, we have Kirk Cousins. You recently wrote an article that Kirk Cousins' best fit was Denver. Why did you think that, or why do you think that? And also, in the article, you said he's a system QB. you want to explain that or just explain who Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback and why Denver is the best fit? Yeah, well, I think Denver's the, the likeliest fit. I think they'll be in the driver's seat. I think the best fit, though, for Kirk Cousins is Minnesota. And they've got the right kind of weapons around them. They have more cap space than Denver, too. And they need a quarterback. None of their guys are signed. And the conversation has always been under the assumption that they're going to choose between their incumbents, Bradford, Keenum, or Bridgewater. Well, what the Vikings understand is, is they're truly a quarterback away from Super Bowl, not just contention, but they'll be the favorites for the NFC probably next year if they get the quarterback situation figured out. And that's not something you mess around with. So there are some question marks about those other guys, and there are fewer question marks about Kirk Cousins. You, you asked, what is he? I do think he's a system QB, and that, that's always viewed as a bit of a pejorative or a slight at a guy, and I don't think that's what we mean in this case because if you put him in the right system and you give him wide receivers like Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, guys who can line up anywhere in the formation and are very good route runners, and you have that kind of receiving threat – your whole system can work continuously. Your designs work because they get executed properly. When your designs are executed properly, Cousins is someone that will get the ball to the right place on time and in rhythm. Now, when things go a little bit awry, and we just talked about with Nick Poles and making those plays late in the down, and that's what Carson Wentz has done so well. When that happens, you get a little different version of Cousins, and you don't quite know what that version will be, and that's why he's not a superstar. But if it's a timing and a rhythm offense and you have weapons around them to make that timing and rhythm work, Kirk Cousins 
uh, can be the quarterback. He, you can win a lot of games with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback in that scenario. Yeah, I miss I misspoke. You did say Minnesota. I think I put my opinion of Denver <laughs> when I read <laughs> and I brain farted and put uh, Minnesota. I mean Denver, but Minnesota also would be a worthy option. What happened to Dak Prescott last year? I, I, Prescott is a complimentary type of QB at this point in his career. So when he has a running game around him and, and their offense can operate through that, and we talk about being a run offense, that doesn't just mean you're handing the ball off and running the ball every play. It also means your passing game is coming out of your running game. So play action, uh, throwing the ball out of running formations. In Dallas's case, a lot of this involves Prescott getting outside the pocket, on the move by design. All of these are elements, systematic elements of quarterbacking versus just having someone – drop back, read the full field, and make the proper throw. That's not what Prescott is at this stage. So when you talk about a quarterback like that, what you're talking about, that's another system QB. And when the system doesn't go well around them, the job becomes harder. I didn't think Prescott was very bad last year. I, I, there were times that he struggled mightily, certainly. Um, and the aggregate picture of the season, though, I thought he made some nice improvements in some subtle areas of the game. He didn't improve in others, and that's disappointing. But overall, Dallas can be comfortable with where they're at at quarterback. It's a matter of what they have around that quarterback. How do you draw a distinction between a guy who's a system quarterback, because that's kind of come up in our conversation, and a guy who can kind of carry the load? Like, how do you define the difference? Yeah, that's a really good question. Certainly physical attributes mean something. And arm strength and size, which often relates to that, that that all matters. And then what really delineates these guys are when you can make plays from the pocket within structure. And then at times out of structure. But it all gets back to how can you do in the pocket. And the superstar QBs are the ones that play consistently within the pocket. Think Brady, of course. Uh, Carson Wentz, Andrew Luck, how he climbs the pocket late in the down and makes these difficult throws. Roethlisberger's like that. Even though he's been a run-around guy, he often stays within the pocket when he does it, especially at this point of his career. Uh, the, the game in the NFL is all about pocket passing because of the way the field is set up and the talent and the structure of the defenses. And the superstar QBs are the ones that can be great consistently in the pocket, both on schedule and playing on schedule, and then at times playing off schedule and extending plays without having to break down the play. I got a small – I follow your Twitter feed and I read all your articles. So I got a small bone to pick me this last question. Last year with Pittsburgh versus New England in the championship game, and you said that this year too, I think it was maybe the Jacksonville up against New England game, and your philosophy was, and a lot of coaches had this philosophy, is that this is what they've been doing all the all year, and this is they're going to they're play cover three, they're going to play cover man, or with Pittsburgh they're going to play the soft zone. What's the balance between a team doing what they've done all year, especially defensively, schematically, and game planning for a specific opponent? Because I thought if you play zone against Brady, he's going to eat you alive, and that's kind of what happens with Pittsburgh in the championship game. So what's the dichotomy between a week-to-week game plan that specifically prepares for an opponent, especially in the playoffs, and then being comfortable with the players being comfortable with what you do week in, week out? 
Yeah, that's a really smart question, Ronnie. That's a, and that's a question that I've ha- had with a lot of different coaches, especially defensive coaches around the NFL, because that's and that's that that question right there is what they try to sit down and figure out every week is what do we do, and then what do we need to do to a- adjust and accommodate against this opponent this week. And that's why versatile players are so valuable, of course, because that it gives you more options and answers in that kind of conversation. And at the end of it, if we have to, and we could talk about that for an hour, but if if we have to whittle it down to a concise answer, it starts with what do we do well? Because that's, you can't ask players to do stuff they don't do well. That's, that's bad coaching, and it's not going to work. So teams find their identity, and they build their identity, and then try to find what can we do. And the idea then is within that identity, how flexible can be can we be with that? So Jacksonville, for example, they're a cover three zone defense, but they've got those two long dynamic cornerbacks. So they're a cover three zone defense, but they can play man-to-man style on the outside. And that changes the way you play cover three in the middle of the field. Seattle had the same thing a few years ago when, when they were the, the best team in the NFC. Uh, so it's that kind of thing. It's what's our wrinkle, what are our wrinkles, and what's our area of flexibility within the context of what we can do. And the better players you have, the more options you're going to have for something like that. And, folks, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for coming on the RC Report. Andy, and I just really appreciate it. You're one of the best. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. All right, folks, that was Andy Benoit of the MMQB podcast, 10 Things Podcast. Also, he can be all of his content is on MMQB.com. One of the best. I'm so excited. Maybe he can actually get me an interview with Greg Cosell. That would be great. But anyway, I like some of it. I thought they were very uh, – Telling, he's a guy that has the ear of player personnel guys. He has the ear of coaches. He's going to the combine. He's talking about Greg Cosell. Even when he's wrong, I feel like he's coming from a right place. I like what he said about RPOs. He talked about Peters. It's feast or famine. Peters is so unorthodox that he's going to make some plays, but he's also going to get beat on some plays. But if I'm the Rams, I'm so happy with that trade. I don't know what they offered yet because I haven't been able to see it, but I think it's just a great upgrade for the Rams. I think their secondary definitely needed something. I liked how he decided between a system quarterback and a quarterback that's not a system quarterback is what they can do in the pocket. He didn't get into it, but I think he would agree that getting off your first read to your second read, like guys like Foles and Cousins, if the play doesn't break down, they can uh, run an offense and, and they can do what the system allows. But the greats like Brady can read it before the snap. They can get to the second or third read. So this is just a great podcast. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Make sure you share it. Go to iTunes and uh, search IBN and then give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. Help us grow. Share. Spread the word. Also on draft.com, fantasy football, you can help us there by playing with the code IBS Sports. IBS Sports is your code. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the RC Report, and it is a treat because this is like one of my favorite guests I've ever had. So spread the word, and until next time, this has been RC.